to praise oneself extravagantly in speech, speak of oneself with excessive pride. And that's how we understand boasting. Uh, there are few who boasted like Muhammad Ali. Uh, his ego was big and so was his wit. Uh, one time Ali said, if you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. That's pretty funny. Uh, Ali was on course to fight Sonny Liston for the championship, and here's how he rhymed about it. This is the legend of Cassius Clay, the most beautiful fighter in the world today. He talks a great deal and brags in Deity of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. The fistic world was dull and weary, but with a champ like Liston, things had to be dreary. Then someone with color and someone with dash brought fight fans running with cash. This brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. This kid fights great. He's got speed and endurance, but if you sign to fight him, increase your insurance. This kid's got a left. This kid's got a right. If he hit you once, you're asleep for the night. And as you lie on the floor with the ref counts, while the ref counts 10, you pray that you won't have to fight me again, for I am the man this poem is about, the next champ of the world, there isn't a doubt. This I predict, and I know the score, I'll be champ of the world in 64. When I say three, they'll go in the third, so don't bet against me, I'm a man of my word. He is the greatest, yes, I am the man this poem's about, I'll be champ of the world, there isn't a doubt. Here I predict Mr. Liston's dismemberment. I'll hit him so hard, he'll wonder where October and November went. When I say two, there's never a third. Standing against me is completely absurd. When Cassius says a mouse can outrun a horse, don't ask how, put your money where your mouse is, I am the greatest. And that was one of Ali's favorite lines. I am the greatest. One time he said, I am the greatest. I said that before I knew I was. And he also said, I am not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Boasting. But there's another definition for boast, an archaic one. To boast is to glory or exalt in something. Dr. Philip Ryken writes, it is difficult to capture the meaning of the Greek word for boast because there is no precise equivalent in English. It means something more than bragging. It means, writes John Stott, to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. End of quote. What do you glory in? Exalt in, boast in. Aren't there really only two options? You either boast in Christ or you boast in yourself. And James 4 says that boasting in yourself is evil. From God's vantage point, there is only one appropriate thing to boast in. Beloved brothers and sisters, boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ alone because there is nothing else to boast in. Boast in Christ and the cross that he bore. Laud the achievements of our Lord. Magnify the merits of our master. What else is there to boast in? Galatians 6, 11 through 18 are Paul's concluding summary and emphasis. In verses 11 through 18, Paul returns to past themes to drive home the point. And at the center of it all is this beautiful line. 
but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Galatians ultimately about? The sufficiency and the effectuality and the supremacy of Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. So then I begin here. We cannot boast in the cross and refuse to submit to the authoritative word of Jesus. It's a very dangerous thing to believe whatever you want to be true rather than believing whatever, uh, what actually is true. Where did the Galatians, uh, the Judaizers rather, go wrong? Well, they changed the one true gospel that Paul preached. They failed to boast in the cross alone and instead boasted in circumcision and the Galatians were following them into the air. Paul said, In verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, what's Paul getting at? It's possible that Paul had bad eyesight. Uh, Back in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul mentioned a bodily ailment and a condition that was a trial to the, the Galatians. In verse 15, he mentioned their willingness to gouge out their eyes and to give them to him. And so he may have had poor eyesight, or maybe he was adding the big word, big letters for emphasis, okay? Maybe both, but I think there's something deeper in verse 11. Paul dictated his letters to copyists, and then he finished with his own handwriting. Paul's big letters personalized and authenticated the letter. Now, consider how Paul ended 2 Thessalonians I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So Paul's big letters were ultimately his apostolic seal. Now, why is that important for Galatians? Paul began Galatians like this. You might remember, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul was an apostle divinely chosen and commissioned. Galatians is stamped, is authenticated by the Holy Trinity. Paul's signature was a significant argument against the false gospel of the Judaizers. So boasting in the cross alone begins with submitting yourself to the authoritative word of Christ, given through apostolic testimony, including Paul's. Someone cannot boast in the cross while also rejecting the clear apostolic testimony and teaching of Scripture. Saints, much preaching today fails to boast in the cross of Christ because it boasts in something other than the authoritative Word of God. It boasts a great deal in trends or entertainment, or pop culture, or philosophy, or science, or reason, and the like, and it boasts very little of the power and the sufficiency of the cross. If we are to boast in the cross of Christ alone, we must submit ourselves to the authoritative word of Jesus Christ. Next, we cannot boast in the cross and live to impress the world. The cross doesn't impress the world. It offends and infuriates the world. Paul says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Paul returns to circumcision. 
and law-keeping. And notice that he isn't merely criticizing the Judaizers' doctrine, but also criticizing their motivation. The Judaizers pushed circumcision and law-keeping in the churches to make a good showing in the flesh, most likely to appease or to satisfy vehement uh, Jews in love with the Mosaic law. One study note suggested, it is possible that those advocating circumcision in Galatia were doing so under pressure from extremely zealous Jewish nationalists in Judea, end of quote. The, the Judaizers cared about keeping up religious appearances and traditions in order to please the world, and they abandoned the gospel in order to do it. In verse 13, Paul says, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The, the Judaizers pushed circumcision and law-keeping so that they could boast, not in the sufficiency of the cross, but in their religious accomplishments of getting the Galatians circumcised. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be well-liked. Look how many Galatians, they got circumcised. Whoa, wow. And they were after self-preservation. They were after self-promotion, as false teachers often are. They couldn't rejoice and revel in the cross because they were living to impress the world. Paul's thinking was entirely different. He says in verse 4, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And world represents the entire worldly system which thinks and lives in opposition to God and the gospel. Paul wasn't trying to impress the world because the world was dead to him. The power of the world was dead. The attraction of the world was dead. The influence of the world was dead. The dominion of the world was dead. The appeal of the world was dead. Calvin said, quote, to crucify the world is to treat it with contempt and disdain, end of quote. Dr. William Hendrickson added, the world, that is, all those earthly pleasures and treasures, honors and values that tend to draw the soul away from Christ had lost their charm for Paul. The, word, the world had become dead to Paul, end of quote. We cannot boast in the cross and live to satisfy the flesh and impress the world. Uh, the world is dead to us. We are dead to the world. Read Philippians 3 sometime. Paul counted everything as loss because for him, the cross of Christ was infinitely more valuable. Paul had been crucified with Christ and was therefore dead to the world. Dead people don't care about impressing the world, do they? He's dead. Dead. Paul was crucified with Christ and dead to the world, dead to the flesh, dead to the law of sin and death, and alive, very alive to Christ. Dr. Timothy George writes this, to be crucified to the world then means to walk in the light, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, and to live in the freedom with which Christ has set us free, end of quote. Paul was dead to the world, but he was alive and he was free to walk by the Spirit, to to boast only in the cross of Christ where he found grace and mercy and peace and power. Living to impress the world faded in Paul's life as he was filled with the Spirit of God and he lived for the fame of God. The cross of Christ shows us explicitly that Jesus did not come to impress the world. 
but to rescue the world. Jesus isn't good news by, by worldly standards, by earthly standards and values. He's good news because his cross alone is the sole means by which sinners are rescued from the wrath and the judgment of God. We cannot boast in the power and sufficiency of the cross and at the same time boast in that which impresses the world. The avowed atheist and intellectual Christopher Hitchens, uh, while he was still alive, said this, to get to the point of the wrongness of Christianity, because I think teaching, the teachings of Christianity are immoral, the central one is the most immoral of all, and that is one of vicarious redemption. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, The world says that Christ's achievements on the cross are not just offensive, they're not just stupid, they're immoral. If we boast in the achievements of the cross, of Christ on the cross, we cannot at the same time impress the world who hates the cross and everything it represents from the depravity of humankind to the wrath and judgment of God to the exclusivity of Christ as the only way to God. When we boast in the cross, we boast in what the world despises. And this invites persecution. This invites pain, not approbation and acclaim. Next, we cannot boast in the cross and live to avoid persecution by compromising the gospel. Jesus told his unbelieving half-brothers, who I will say were not very pleased with him, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now, talking like that does not impress people of the world. That's not impressive. That's offensive. Don't you dare tell me that what I'm doing is evil. And that kind of talk gets you crucified. Didn't Jesus know that to impress the world, you have to say nice things about the world. You have to compliment the world. You don't call the world evil and impress the world. Well, Jesus didn't come to impress the world. He came to rescue through a horrific and a gruesome and a horrifying death on a cross. At the last supper in the upper room, Jesus promised his disciples that the world would hate them and persecute them. He promised them this, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Persecution is a badge that only faithful adopted children of God wear. Jesus taught in his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are not blessed when the world applauds us. That's not a blessing. We are blessed when the world reviles and persecutes and lies about us, then we're blessed. Persecution is an assurance of your eternal reward, your eternal heavenly reward. Jesus said things like, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The world loves false prophets. The world applauds false prophets, not faithful ones. 
But since persecution is hard and painful and unjust, it is easy for us to compromise the gospel to alleviate the pain we feel and to be accepted by the world. Maybe the world will like me a bit more if I just add this to the gospel. Maybe the world will like me a little bit if I just take this away from the gospel. Stay true to the gospel, you will be hated. Verse 12, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The Judaizers compromised the gospel in order to escape persecution from other religious people, from Jews, because the cross is a stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for Jews. If, if we live to avoid being hated by the world and to avoid being persecuted, we will not boast in the cross of Christ because boasting in the cross invites persecution from the world. We have to remember the countless martyrs who boasted in the cross of Christ alone. That's why they died. Friends, this shows that the Judaizers did not have, the false teachers did not have the best interest of the believers in the church at heart in mind. They were thinking of themselves. This was self-serving talk, self-serving thinking. Their, their false gospel and false teaching was none other than serving themselves, not the people that they were teaching. Those who love the church the most preach what the world hates for the good and eternal glory of the church whom God loves. Persecution is hard. Persecution hurts. Persecution is unfair. And when we are persecuted, the temptation is to compromise the truth of the cross in order to avoid pain, to avoid suffering. Maybe they'll just let me alone. If I just don't say this one thing, if I, if I just pull back from this one thing, maybe they will let me alone. Let us not forget James 4.4. 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We should rejoice in persecution because our Lord and Savior suffered for us and in his suffering we draw close to him and receive his glorious mercy and his glorious grace and one day when our conquering king finally and fully defeats all evil we will bask in the reward of his eternal presence and glory if we boast in the cross brothers and sisters we invite persecution to live to avoid persecution is not to live for God. It is to live for yourself and to miss out on close intimacy with God. He is there as we are persecuted. He sustains us as we hear the lies about us. We are close to him. Our Savior went through these things. and We identify with him in his suffering. Paul was being persecuted for the cross of Christ because he believed that the cross was the only thing to boast in, the only thing of infinite value, the only thing which would bring sinners like him salvation, grace, mercy, peace, joy, and all good things from God. Paul despised human merit because he boasted in the cross of Christ alone because of the infinite value and beauty and power of the cross alone alone. 
If you want to win the applause of the world, if that's what you want out of life, well, then you don't really want the Christian life. And you don't really want the eternal reward of God. John Rogers, he's one of my heroes. Uh, He was burned at the stake in 1555 in England under the reign of Roman Catholic Queen Bloody Mary. Rogers prized the power and sufficiency and exclusivity of the cross and would not capitulate to the egregious errors and the gospel distortions of the Roman Catholic Church, even under the threat of death. John Rogers refused to recant, and so he was thrown in prison. His wife was forbidden to visit him. The jailers treated him very severely. He was sentenced to burning at the stake, and still he boasted in the glory of the cross. When asked to revoke his gospel doctrine and the opinion, his opinion of the uh, Roman Catholic Mass, Rogers responded, that which I have preached I will seal with my own blood. They condemned him as a heretic, and Rogers said, that shall be known at the day of judgment. As Rogers was brought to the stake, his own wife and 11 children, one of whom was a nursing infant, held by Rogers' dear wife, met him along the road of his execution. Any moment he could have compromised the gospel, said one little thing, just retracted upon his teaching and and given approval to the papal mass, and he would have embraced his wife again. He would have embraced his 11 children once again. But the cross of Christ was Rogers' only boast, and so he continued to his excruciating execution. And it is written of Rogers, after lifting up his hands to heaven, not removing them from the fire until the flames had devoured them, mildly and firmly this happy martyr yielded up his spirit into the hands of his heavenly father. Even a few moments before his death, a written pardon was brought to him if he would recant, but he refused." And one day, on the day of his execution, Noea, the French ambassador to England, wrote this. This day was performed the public and solemn sacrifice of a preaching doctor named Rogers, who has been burned alive because he persisted in his opinions. As he was conducted to his death, the greatest part of the people were not afraid to make him many exclamations to strengthen his courage. Even his children assisted him comforting him in such a manner that it seemed as if Rogers was being led to a wedding. All that John Rogers and his precious family had to boast in was the cross of Christ. The power, beauty, and sufficiency of the cross of Christ. Rogers and his dear family would not back down at any moment because there was nothing else for them to boast in to revel in, to glory in, but the cross of Jesus Christ. Next, we cannot boast in the cross and boast in our own righteousness and religious works. Paul says in verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. That's a remarkable statement. What good was their circumcision considering their inability to keep the whole law 
The Judaizers and their followers boasted in their own self-righteousness, which was far from perfect. They were circumcised. Okay, so you're circumcised, but you're still a lawbreaker. Were they not aware of the demands of the law? Paul said, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You don't do all of it, you're cursed. And God's law shouted, you are cursed because of your imperfect law keeping. And they responded, no, we are not. We have done enough. How self-righteous and how anti-Christ. Do you realize how serious it is to mix self-righteousness with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel of the cross? Petrus Dathanus wrote in his Pearl of Christian Comfort, those who live by the law, that is, they who still expect to obtain salvation by the works of the law have never felt the strength of the law. They know nothing of death and condemnation to which they are subject, and therefore they are neither hungry nor thirsty for the righteousness of Christ. Those who boast in their own self-righteousness and good works have never truly felt the weight and the strength of the law. And because they haven't, they are self-righteous and they do not belong to Christ. How can they desire Christ for whom they feel they don't really need him? And Petrus Dathanus gives great comfort for those who feel crushed by God, by his law, and who feel so desperate for Christ, yearn for Christ. This is what Dathanus says to those folks, to you and me, brothers and sisters who know and want Jesus, he says, God desires and welcomes contrite, troubled, and oppressed hearts who feel their poverty, destitution, and sickness in order that he might comfort, refresh, enrich, and heal them with the riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. We cannot boast in the cross while we boast in our own self-righteousness and religious effort. The Judaizers boasted in their circumcision, boasted in the circumcision of the Galatians, and yet Paul said in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't matter. What does matter? Whether by the grace and spirit of God you have been made a new creation in Christ. That matters, not religious rituals. The, the, the circumcision of the heart matters. Being reborn matters. Being regenerated matters. Being converted matters. Do you have a heart that beats for God alone? You, you can't keep the law. Christ alone has kept the law. His cross is your only hope to put to death what is earthly in you, to put to death the old man. And when you receive the cross of Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, you receive the righteousness of Christ, which is your only righteousness. And so what are you left to boast in but boast in the righteousness of Christ given you through the cross? What else do you have to boast in? I religiously attend church. No, you only have 
Christ as your boast. I pray with my kids before I put them to bed. No, your only boast is Christ. I give generously to the church. I'm I'm faithful to my spouse. I have well-behaved children. I've shared the gospel with others. I've felt guilty and remorseful about my sin, and I have shed tears over my sin, and I've never been drunk or used drugs, or I have waited to have sex until I got married, or I know the Apostles' Creed by heart, or I have a wonderful devotional life. No, 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 no. Your only boast is in the cross of Christ. He alone is your righteousness. His cross alone is your redemption. You have done nothing. He has done everything. Boast in him alone. Do our good works count for anything then? Of course, absolutely, of course. But they only do because of grace in Christ that we receive by faith alone. Next. We cannot boast in the cross and any privilege outside of Christ. We have no privilege outside of Christ. Look at verse 16. Who receives, uh, who receives peace and mercy from God in verse 16? Only those who walk by this rule, right? Who, who boast in the cross of Christ alone. They're the ones who receive blessing. God does not bless anyone who boasts in themselves because their self-regard is disdained for his glory and his provision in Christ. Peace and mercy are found for those who revel and rejoice in the cross. There are two ways that we could go with verse 16. The Israel of God could refer to ethnic Jews. Uh, That's one way that we could go. But considering the context of Galatians, considering that Paul said earlier, there is neither Jew nor Greek, and it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, it is much more likely that the Israel of God refers to the church, the true Israel both Jews and and Gentiles who trust in Christ alone for salvation. They alone boast in the cross. They alone receive peace and mercy of God. The, the, The Greek grammar works for that interpretation. Dr. Riken explains it like this. The phrase, upon the Israel of God, has significant implications for biblical theology. That's theology starting in Genesis and working through the redemptive flow of history. The blessing of peace and mercy comes from a traditional Jewish benediction. However, here, Paul uses it to refer not merely to Jews, but to all true children of Abraham, whether Jews or Gentiles. It is a way of saying that the church is the new Israel. There is continuity between the old covenant and the new, between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament church. The promises that God made to Israel are fulfilled in the true spiritual Israel, which is the church of Jesus Christ. God has one people in Christ, and what unites them is the cross. We share a common boast in the cross and in the cross alone, end of quote. What, what privilege is there outside of the cross? Nothing about Galatians suggests that ethnicity makes any difference when it comes to salvation. The only privilege that we have is inside of Christ as people transformed by the grace of the powerful cross of Christ. Here's here's where we end. Beloved brothers and sisters, we have only one thing to boast in. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the man saying that. Paul, formally, he was a Pharisee. He, He made us look foolish in religious terms. He was zealous 
for God's law, zealous for Judaism. He was among the religious elite, and yet after he was rescued by Christ, all that he had left to boast in was the cross. Two subpoints. Number one, boasting in the cross alone comes with a cost. It comes with a cost, friends. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The Greek word for marks is stigmata. You might have heard that term stigmata before. And Roman Catholicism has done some very weird things with that term stigmata. Uh, Francis of Assisi being one great example. Stigmata is not having holes in your hands and your feet show up and you start bleeding uh, from your side or something like that. What, What did Paul mean by stigmata? Consider Paul's hard life. Read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. Countless beatings and often near death. Five times he received 40 lashes less one. Three times beaten with rods. One time he was stoned to almost death. He was shipwrecked three times. So I just have to say all that happens to take a toll on your body. You know what I'm saying? Paul has some scars, some battle wounds for Christ. He suffered for Christ and I find this really interesting. I read this in the archaeology study Bible that stigmata, quote, is the same Greek term used for a mark branded on the body of a slave or animal to indicate ownership, end of quote. Paul boasted in the cross alone and was pounded for it. Pounded over and over. And his scars testified that he belonged to Jesus Christ alone. His scars testified to the legitimacy of his faith. He belonged to Christ as master, suffering for the cross. It's hard. Suffering for the cross is painful. But, number two, boasting in the cross alone comes with unfathomable blessings. In verse 16, peace and mercy. Aren't those awesome blessings? Don't you want peace? Don't you want mercy? You have it. In Christ, peace and mercy from God are unfathomable blessings. And in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. What a way to end at a high point of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, God's amazing grace is an unfathomable blessing. We have his grace now through faith alone. We belong to Christ. We are brothers and sisters in God's family Paul ends with great hope. Hard letter, right? Have you paid attention? I mean, it's hard. Lots of things that you're like, oh, man, he did actually say that. And then he ends with great hope, calling the Galatians brothers. Like he was saying, brothers and sisters, my dear, my dear brothers and sisters, grace, grace. He confers to them God's warm and rich grace as brothers and sisters, our boast is one thing, one gruesome and glorious thing, his cross, because in it is the grace and the pardon of God. Beloved brothers and sisters, (coughs) excuse me, boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ alone because there is nothing else to boast in. 
The cross shows us that Jesus Christ has done it all, that he alone is worthy, that he alone is wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. You know what? Muhammad Ali was wrong. As entertaining as he was, he was very, very wrong. Jesus is the champ. Jesus is the greatest. Muhammad Ali doesn't even come close. Who do you boast in? Who do you glory in? Who do you trust in? Who do you rejoice in? Who do you revel in? Who do you live for? Christ or yourself? Who? There's nothing in you to boast in. All you have to boast in, dear brothers and sisters, is the cross of Christ which is your only means to live forever in communion with God. And if you have Christ, you have all that His cross has accomplished, and you have God forever. Oh, let us boast in the cross alone, for the cross alone is our road to our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the cross the bloody and gruesome and glorious cross, the blessed cross. We love Jesus. We love what he has done. We love all that he has accomplished. I pray that you open the eyes of my brothers and sisters to see the glories of the cross, that they would boast in nothing but the cross, that all of their good works, all of their religion, all of what they have done, that they would count it as complete and utter loss and rubbish, as Paul did but instead would glory and boast and revel in the cross alone. It will take a massive work of your spirit because we are so staunchly prideful people, wanting the credit for ourselves, but God, your beautiful grace and sovereignty can overturn that and direct our gaze to Jesus who is sufficient, Jesus who is beautiful, Jesus who is effectual, Jesus who has done it all. Let us boast in the cross, God, for your glory, for the glory of our Savior. By the leading of your Spirit, God, please let the cross be most glorious to us. And let us loosen our grips on the idols of this world. Let us see that Jesus has a firm grip on us, that he has redeemed us through horror and pain and the wrath of God. He bore it for us so that we could glory and revel in and boast in the cross. It is all for the glory of our cross bearer that we pray. Amen.